0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, get it. with the WWE edition of your favorite wrestling podcast, and that sentence may be true. WWE, as of Monday night, is not my favorite wrestling brand at this time. We will talk about that and much more in today's show, breaking down everything that's happened in the world of WWE over the last few days. We're talking Friday Night Smackdown, and we are talking Monday Night Raw. Before we get to all that, you know the rules here on Getting Over. Got a little promotion to do. And this week, we are promoting our Twitter account at Getting. Overcast on Twitter. Please follow us, tweet us. You can send in DMs. We chat all week long. We talk about every major rest- wrestling show in North America as it happens Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW. We're tweeting basically live during those shows clips, GIFs, anything that you want. We got it. And we also tweet every single episode of Getting Over as soon as it is released. So please not only follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. But retweet and tweet at us so we can get those engagement numbers up, so we can get more followers and more people listening to this show. The other way you can help us is by heading over to Apple Podcasts and dropping a five star rating and review for the pod. Let us know how much you love the show, why you love it so much. We would greatly appreciate it. Now, I just came off a week where I did about six episodes in eight days. So getting about four days off here, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, to relax and readjust my wrestling mind, I thought was helpful. And it kind of delivered to me uh, Friday night on SmackDown, where I saw what I consider to be one of the better editions of SmackDown that we've seen in quite some time. And some of it kind of seemed like WWE was forced into booking that way. And then, you know, a couple days later, WWE turns around and gives us what I consider to be the worst episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, since the beginning of 2020. And that's really saying something because we've had a lot of pandemic episodes and I gave those a a break in the beginning because you knew the quality was going to be down just because they only had so many people. Um, they didn't really have the, the arena, the performance center set up correctly. You gave them a break on some of those shows, but Monday nights raw insulted me. I, I was insulted as a wrestling fan with what I saw over those three hours. And that is largely how we're gonna start the show. Before we get to that, obviously, I need to introduce my co-host. His name's Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. Chris, before we even get into the main event, before I go on my rants, cause there's something's gonna happen in the main event and I, I don't know if I'm gonna <laughs> be able to control it. I'm just being honest with people. Uh, but before I get into all that, you know, let's set the stage. Were you as disappointed in what we saw over three hours on Monday night as I was?
1: You know, I've been looking forward to this because you texted me last night and said that you were going to go off (laughs) on Ron. I thought you were about to get into it like right off the bat here. No, Uh, I got to introduce you. I'm not forgetting
0: about you. Don't worry. (laughs) But there's There's not going to be banter on today's show.
1: No, we're not not talking
0: about home improvement. We're not talking not neither the television show nor actually doing home improvement. We're not having fun talking about beer. Very nice. Um, we're not having fun talking about beer or any other or, or candy or any of that shit. We're going to be talking wrestling on today's show. But, so I'm Yes.
1: Yeah. And you know, I, what I wrote down in my notes, what I felt like last night was, was it was the, it was a, it was the type of raw we used to typically get with a crowd in that there were not payoffs. The finishes were lazy there were promo, par- there were promo parades that made no sense, and it was nothing. And and when when I say I really think Raw has been pretty good since you know the Performance Center era, I mean that they've generally been telling stories and working on character development, and they threw all that out the window last night, and it felt like something we used to get a while, you know, back when we had crowds.
0: That's a really good point. This edition of Raw really contained. Many of the things that we've criticized previously about Raw, especially before we got the new executive directors, before they did the brand split, you know, largely since November up until, you know, Monday night, I've been very positive about Raw. There have been episodes, there have been segments, there have been certain things that have happened that I didn't like. And there's been weeks that I that I thought, you know, weren't very good. But I have not seen a three hour show top to bottom be as disheartening as Monday night's edition of Raw was in a very long time. And when you see it coming off of what we got last week, which we talked about it, was it the best book show? No, but we got like four banger matches, like really, really high quality wrestling last Monday night. And even when you think about Extreme Rules and we talked about, you know, the show wasn't very good. There were numerous finishes that were issues. But the wrestling was really good. So you find those bright spots. But I couldn't really find the bright spots on Raw Monday night because the booking was so terrible. And we're going to move right into the main event. And we're going to talk about all of that. And yes, there will be a couple bright spots. Of course, it wasn't three hours of complete garbage. But the majority of what we got Monday night, I'm just setting the stage here. It, it just was not good. Because, Chris, there's nights where you sit down to watch wrestling. And this primarily goes for the WWE main roster. But you know 20 minutes into a show that it's going to be a piece of shit. And 20 minutes into Raw on Monday night, I knew something was off in a major way. But I didn't think that by the time the night concluded, I would be this viscerally angry at three hours of wrestling on my television. Especially not when the big storylines are Sasha Banks winning a singles title in WWE and Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton being the scheduled main event for SummerSlam. Two things that I think universally WWE fans wanted. And even if you didn't want McIntyre and Orton, you at least understand that logistically, it made the most sense to be booked at SummerSlam considering what Orton's done considering what Drew McIntyre's accomplished as WWE champion. But what you have to remember when we're going to sit here, or when I at least, and we'll see your, what you think soon, when I sit here and criticize WWE's booking, is that WWE is now taping and booking two weeks at a time. In the last few months, that has led to more cohesive, sensical storytelling, because they didn't have the opportunity to change plans on a dime week to week. Yes, maybe after a two-week segment, Vince McMahon may change his mind and go in another direction. You're at least gonna get two weeks in a row of booking that makes sense. So when we discuss Raw from Monday night, I want you guys to remember a couple things. Number one, this was taped in succession with last week's show, and that was taped one night after Extreme Rules. Number two, Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard reportedly delayed tapings because of the reaction to Extreme Rules, because people were so pissed off about Extreme Rules, they delayed taping Raw the following Monday and felt that they needed to rewrite two episodes, which is six hours of television. So the booking that we got on Monday, and especially this Monday, was what they thought was better than whatever they had on paper previously. It was better than the plans they had coming out of a pay-per-view that fans bitched about and was probably the lowest rated WWE pay-per-view in terms of critical response that we've gotten in a long time. You and I, I think we were a C plus, B minus. In retrospect, I do downgrade it a little bit more. It was probably a C, maybe a C minus for me. The wrestling was so good on that show, but the booking was so bad. But they thought that the booking of this Raw would fix the complaints from that pay-per-view. So that should put into context why context why what I'm about to say is particularly poor why it's particularly mind-boggling that people as experienced as Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard could book the way they did on Monday essentially the night after a pay-per-view. And we'll start with the Raw Women's Championship match where you had Sasha Banks defeat Asuka to become the new champion. The booking for this match and really the two matches in this feud, it's stunning to me. Stunning how poorly it was done from start to finish. The concept, the execution, the lack of understanding what WWE fans, especially in 2020, actually want from Asuka and Sasha Banks. These are two of the best women's wrestlers in the world. And if, even if you don't agree with that, if you're a stardom kind of dork and you love stuff going on over there, They're at least the two best in the United States as of right now. And what they gave us over the course of two nights, again, Sunday and Monday, was two incredible four-star-plus matches, probably 4.25-star matches, maybe even 4.5 if you want to go that far, with absolutely disastrous, dumb, and unforgivable finishes. Now, some of you are going to disagree, and that's fine. But before you do, I want to lay out exactly why this was shitty. And it's primarily because of WWE's history booking both Asuka and Sasha Banks. And I know Chris has plenty to say. He is going to get an opportunity to speak. But I have to run.
1: This I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. Don't worry, people.
0: He, he will get an opportunity. I promise. Let's, Adam's got a lot on his chest. I'm letting him. I'm yes, letting him I need to involved. get I need to get this out because honestly, not only do I need to break this down, I woke up with a headache. I went to bed with a headache. Nothing's going right right now, okay? But anyway, let's get back and start with the positioning on the show. It was shocking that an actual title match with two of the best wrestlers in the world, especially women's wrestlers in the world, did not main event over a non-title stipulation match. Now, I'll give them a break here because they wanted to start hour three with a strong rating. They wanted to carry viewers over. Hour three is usually a big drop-off. Presumably, that's the reasoning it's still a strange decision, especially when you consider they had a title change to end the match. Now let's talk about the stipulation. The stipulation made no logistical sense whatsoever, even before you saw the booked finish. Now the finish makes sense based on the book, based on the stipulation, but think about it like this. It was convoluted and lacking logic. Why? Because Stephanie McMahon last week was seemingly upset at Sasha Banks and Bailey for the way that match ended at Extreme Rules. So she was going to force Sasha, in booking, to win the title on her merits rather than with a. I can't. We don't curse on the show, so I'll I'll pull a, a a move out of good place. We'll use fork instead of the f word that I want to use instead of a fork type of finish. That she wanted Sasha Banks, if she was going to be the new Raw Women's Champion, to win the title on her merits, and then. In the weeks leading up to the match, with the stipulation that was laid down, they didn't refer to Asuka as champion and did not introduce her as such before the match, though they did show it on the bottom of her graphics card as she walked to the ring. But what Stephanie McMahon did with her stipulation, instead of putting Sasha Banks in a bad position, she took away the champion's advantage from the actual champion who never lost the title in Asuka. By saying, hey, not only is it you have to win by pinfall or submission, but you can't have a countout, you can't have a disqualification, and you can't have an interference if any of those happen, the title goes to the other person. That should have been the stipulation if you're booking in kayfabe, if you're Stephanie McMahon, that should have been the stipulation for Sasha Banks. That the only way Sasha can win the title is pinfall or submission, but Asuka, the rightful champion, keeps all of her advantages. They decide not to do that because they wanted to book this finish. So they took the champion, Asuka, who's held the title for three months and, by the way, didn't win the title via pinfall or submission herself, won it because some will say it was gifted to her in Money in the Bank. But OK, I was OK with that. But they take this champion. She's held the title for three months and they've reduced her in this match as a competitor for the title that they did not declare vacant, nor did they hold it in abeyance, as they like to say. So that's the that's how we're starting the match. Now the finish, this finish, this finish is what they thought would soothe fans after universal anger about the Extreme Rules match. Again, WWE reportedly rewrote six hours of Raw at the last minute, and rather than fix the booking, which we thought they might do based on what Stephanie McMahon said last week, they doubled down with convolution and garbage with a finish that did not strengthen either woman in the long run. So they gave us a fork finish on pay-per-view only to turn around and give us a fork finish on TV. It's maddening. Let's break down the finish and the ramifications after that crystal speak. First, why suddenly in the moment did the Titan Tron turn on? Could Bailey not have battered her, her being Kyrie Sane on the ramp or in an empty section perhaps of the Performance Center crowd behind the barriers that Asuka could not reach, maybe shoving Kyrie's face into the plexiglass so she could scream and distract Asuka forcing her to not only leave the ring, but go around the pec plexiglass and not be able to get back in time for the 10 count. Doing something like that at a minimum improves it. But instead, they have Asuka come out of it looking like an absolute fool. She first let Sasha walk around with her title for an entire week, despite being in multiple segments with her, never once trying to steal it back. Asuka clearly going into this match knew the stipulation, yet straight up sacrificed the title to help a friend who was already beaten down in the backstage area. So now you have Asuka, whose title reign ends around 100 days for the second time on the main roster, three weeks before SummerSlam. This is, she's only had two title reigns on the main roster. I know that's maybe hard to believe. Both 100 days, basically three months. They are now giving up a title and changing a title three weeks before SummerSlam. The second biggest event of the year, where she could have dropped the title to Sasha Banks if they wanted her reign to end. Now you have Sasha Banks, who is champion for the fifth time in her WWE career main roster. This is a woman fans have been begging to see get a push. So how does she win the title? I know she's a heel. I know she's a chicken shit heel. She wins the title face down in the ring via count out by happenstance rather than by beating one of the best women's wrestlers of all time. Fans have been waiting nearly 1,100 days. Yes, it's been that long for her to win a singles title again. And that is how they pay it off. On our 2.5 of Raw, the account out face down in the ring. Now let's remember that Sasha, and you know I, you knew I was gonna get here. Let's remember she's a SmackDown superstar. And she's never had a title reign in main roster WWE That's longer than 27 days. And she's never successfully defended a singles title on the main roster ever. Zero. So how the hell do you book this going forward? The most logical move is for Sasha Banks to drop the title back to Asuka at SummerSlam, which means, if I'm correct, that that's the booking, she will only reign for, guess what? 27 days. And guess what? She'll again lose the title on her first defense, changing the title the way they did on Monday night, not only diminishes the title, it diminishes the performers who respectively won and lost it. The Raw Women's Championship, Asuka and Sasha Banks are all worse off for the booking that WWE, Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard gave them on Monday night.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say is more than more than anything else is that it hurts the people involved. I mean, it, you know, there, there's a, a common complaint about WWE for 50 50 booking and, and the case is that, hey, you know, they don't want to make anybody look bad by having clean losses or whatever. You can't make them look any worse than by what you did by making them look stupid. And that's what that's what they did. Like, and didn't Oscar lose to Nia via countout, distraction count out like a month ago or something? I think something like that. she like she like wandered out of the ring. And, and it's just like, and you're right. This was the day. supposedly the day after Extreme Rules, essentially, that they made that they redid the finish and made it even worse. I I, I, I don't get it. Uh, as always with WWE, they don't commit to something. They kind of just half facet it and, and don't fully give you the payoff of what you want. Yeah, we want the two women power trip is something that I had said leading into extreme rules. So what do they do? They give it to us in the worst possible way that only makes everybody look dumb. Doesn't make Sasha look strong. Doesn't make anybody look strong. And and this comes after weeks of where Sasha was winning kind of on behalf of Bailey and looking strong. And it seemed like they were building the story. Yeah. They were building the story of, Oh, Sasha's the real strong one in this connection here. And she's going to realize it at some point. And that's out the window apparently to do to do nothing here and one little thing in the match Sasha tried to do the Eddie Guerrero toss the belt fall down you know type of thing but she waited until the referee turned around and looked at her right and then she tossed the belt to Asuka so like that's not uh, you know I like that gim I like that you know that bit but they did not execute it the right way just an absolute Disaster for all of that. Bailey and Sasha had been, you know, one of the hottest things in wrestling for weeks, months. So awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the past few weeks, have just been absolutely. Brutal, and th- again, this is the type of finish that felt like they would normally give you in front of a TV crowd. And it leads with everybody booing and walking out and saying they're going to cancel the network, and yada yada yada. That was about the only thing missing from this because, in that sense, it, it felt a little familiar. But oh boy, that was brutal. There, are,
0: there are so many other ways to do this. I mean, if you want to talk about the
1: pay per view, and if they among, wanted to ch- among them, among the different ways to do it, just have Sasha win. Well, okay. uh, like that's not gonna Like, this is going to make Asuka look worse than if you did that. Straight up number one. You're right. Roll her up. She's distracted. Roll her up.
0: I hate it. They do it. It's overused. OK, where someone's theme music hits, their entrance music hits or something pops up on the Titan Tron. The person gets distracted and they get rolled up. Maybe you have Sasha Banks. Asuka's turned. She hit. Remember the kick right before they went to commercial that Asuka hit Sasha with? You do the yeah. same thing. Sasha knocks her out with this kick puts her in the bank statement, Asuka's out. She can't tap, she's concussed. They call the match, uh, Sasha Banks wins. You can do that. Yes, it's Asuka losing. They wanted to figure out a way where Asuka didn't get pinned or submitted, but Sasha Banks still won the title. But it, what fans want, what WWE, what wrestling fans in 2020 want is real finishes to matches. And to give WWE a shred of credit There have been multiple, quote-unquote, dream matches or surprise television matches over the last month, let's say, that they've given us that have all ended in clean finishes. Mm -hmm. From Charlotte and Asuka, which is really where it started, to the other Charlotte matches and Sasha Banks and Bayley matches on NXT and all the combinations. AJ Styles, Matt Riddle. AJ Styles and Matt Riddle, where, hey, guess what? Matt Riddle lost, but he didn't get weakened. Yep. Right? So... There's ways to book and book properly where someone can lose and still look strong. And if they wanted to change the title, at extreme rules, they could have had Sasha and Bayley pay off one of the women referees or any of the referees or another female competitor or, you know, to come in and, and be the referee in that spot and have it count as a title change. Or on Raw, I just said earlier, if you wanted this bayley Kyrie Sane finish, which made sense because they had to write Kyrie Sane off. We will get to that. If you wanted that to be the finish, you could have done it where Sasha tied up Asuka in the ropes and Bailey and Kyrie Sane are fighting, like I said, in this area of the performance center. And, and she's shoving her face into the plexiglass and banging her head into it. And Kyrie's bleeding a little bit, maybe. And maybe As- uh, Sasha locks Asuka in the bank statement and she ha- she's forcing her to watch. And the only reason that Asuka taps, she taps immediately maybe, but the only sure. reason she taps is so she gets out of it so she can run and save her friend. There's a million different ways you can book this without dumb face Asuka seeing her friend getting hurt on the Titantron and knowingly giving up the title to save her after she's already been beaten down. I mean, it's just so insulting. I'm not even using sound drops. Like this would be a 0.0. It would be a market zero. It'd be everything. It'd be the pissed off of uh, whatever the Malcolm Bivens one is now.
1: It's a whole I would show use them is all. What it is. I
0: would use them all, but it's not even funny how bad this is. It's legitimately insulting when you do something like this. Now we have Sasha Banks as champion, which folks, if I told you a month ago that on Raw, we were going to get Sasha Banks as champion. I said this earlier. And, and the formation of the Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton storyline, and they were gonna do it all in a three hour Raw, you would say, man, that's awesome. And maybe even if you throw in the Rollins segment, you tell me that stuff's gonna happen where Dominic loses his effing mind with a kendo stick. There's cool stuff that happened on Raw, okay? The booking, the ideas aren't necessarily the worst, but man, I just laid out for you why changing the title on this Raw in that way was bad. They could have done it at the pay-per-view before, even if they did, what Sasha has 32 days as champion? You know, like forty days? Yeah. Like, like, like this is a woman who's now on her fifth main roster title reign. And before and before Monday night, her four title reigns uh lasted a grand total of eighty seven days. Yeah, and she's never she's never successfully defended, I don't think, right? She's never yeah, that's what I said. She never has successfully yeah. defended it. Two of her title reigns already were exactly twenty-seven days. This yeah. th- this theoretically could be the third. She had an
1: eight-eight does, does title. It, does this count as a defense? No, she won the title on Monday. Right, but, but I mean, like, because she, she was did, because, you know, Asuka didn't have champion's advantage, so I don't know if you could technically say that she, she defended the title here. But, but either way... But the, that's part uh, the of other, the convolution, Chris. That's part of the convolution. Yeah, yep, yep, yep,
0: yep, the yep. fact the, that we the, didn't know that Asuka was the cha- I mean, we knew she was the champion, but they didn't even say... Asuka's the rightful champion. When they announced her, they announced uh, women's tag team champion Sasha Banks. And then here's Asuka. And it's yeah. like, what are you talking about? She's been
1: champion for three months. Yeah. The other thing, they've changed what Sasha and Bailey are because they had been strong champions for a while. And that was something we had praised them for. Is it right? I'm sorry, strong heels. They don't often go with that. They typically lean into all the heels have to be the weasels and the cheats and everything like that. And that's exactly what this ended up becoming again. And it's just it's insulting to the work they've done and to the to the people watching. I would have no I would have had no issue if
0: they cheated to win in any in any way. Like I said, I laid out a way they could have done the exact finish they wanted to do and had it been better. And that would have been a legitimate title change. And you would say, "Eh, I don't love that. They didn't do it, but at least she actually submitted her in rule in rule or she pinned her because she rolled her up or Asuka. Maybe even if you want to go with the countout, you want to protect Asuka. If you do it behind the plexiglass, it's all in that arena. You understand why Asuka is getting traumatized because she's seeing it six feet from her face and she can't sure, help her. Yeah, first.
1: yeah, that, works. Yeah, that but works. Doing it the well, way I, they did it was just the worst possible way. No, and instead they cheat two times in a row and it just it's. You know, I know, you know, I know they used the, the brass knuckle thing before. It's kind of just they, they've changed it. I don't really know what's this is going to go. You kind of thought, you know, hey, Sasha's big moment was supposed to be when she beats Bailey, but she already has the singles title now. You mentioned she's the Raw champion and she's a SmackDown superstar. Like, I was OK with that because it was a whole tag team situation. But now it gets now it certainly gets a little weird. And look, that's not to say everything was bad.
0: And there are some positives that can come from this. But again, even if you make chicken salad out of chicken shit, it doesn't change that it was chicken shit in the first place. That's what this is. This is shit. It's shit booking. It's shit storytelling. It's a really bad job by WWE. And I'm going to tell you why a little bit later. Other parts of Raw were maybe not equally as bad, but really bad and insulting. Um, and just bad booking and bad storytelling. But this needed to get singled out for the reasons why I, that I listed. Why this was so bad, why I, as a person who has been watching wrestling for the better part of three decades, less, but for the better part of three decades, was insulted, truly insulted by what I saw on my television Monday night. As far as the match itself goes, as I said earlier, it was fantastic. Just like the Extreme Rules match, the in-ring work was great. You know, I I, I struggle to praise it, but they are so good together, Asuka and Sasha Banks. They have in them a five star match, and you could do a one on one with a real finish, and hell, maybe they'll give it to us at SummerSlam, and maybe we'll be able to one day forget about this. But they are just incredible working together in the ring the counters, the submissions, the reversals. Man, it's beauty. It really is. And for them to saddle that with two fork finishes, um, was disappointing and you mentioned it, the homage to Eddie Guerrero with the title. Uh, yes, did it get screwed up? Sasha didn't do a great job, but the fact that she did it means a lot. Obviously she did it later yeah. in the match right. as well. She did it later in the match as well with the frog splash. I love the respect and reverence that she has for Eddie. It, you know, what happened in the match, the storytelling of the match before the finish, it hit every note for me. It was great. But they just saddled it. They 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 took a shit on it at the end.
1: Yeah. No. It it was it was great match. Great performances by the people involved and, and the women involved. Just they deserve better. Is basically what we're trying to say.
0: They deserve better. Now the result of this is it does give Sasha Banks and Bailey Chris the distinction of being the two woman power trip. A name I hope they use because the role models is stupid. Um. For, you know. I mean, it, it's it's good, but you do have someone else in AEW using it. I don't think. Either of them bit off the other, so I I don't think there's anything bad there, but the two-woman power trip, I mean, it makes sense to call them that. Uh, And they're the first women ever to hold singles and tag team titles simultaneously in WWE history. They join a very short list, Steve Austin and Triple H, Diesel, Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart and Bret Hart, and Ken Shamrock and Big Boss Boss Bossman, who are singles champions while simultaneously being tag team champions. Obviously, not all of those were world championships. In fact, None of them were two world championships and a tag team championship, which even gives Sasha Banks and Bayley this further distinction. So pretty cool that they actually did it. It's something that we talked about on the show. Maybe they would go in that direction. They are, but it's going to be interesting to see how long it lasts and how they are booked. One idea I had, and I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts on this.
1: Book the territory, sir. let's do it.
0: uh, SummerSlam's coming up. Survivor Series is the next major pay-per-view after that. Historically, it has been a situation where it's Raw versus SmackDown. Last year, they obviously did Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. What I'm wondering, look, I do think the title changes hands at SummerSlam. I think Asuka wins it back. What I am wondering is if they figure out a way to allow both of them to hold the titles for three more months. And what they give us at Survivor Series is Sasha versus Bailey. let's say, versus Io Shirai where Sasha and Bailey come into the match saying they're going to work together. They end up having to fight each other in the match. Maybe Sasha pins Bailey to win. And that begins a split that culminates at WrestleMania. That is the only curiosity I have and the only way I think keeping them both as champion past SummerSlam would make booking sense.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think it has to be that pretty much Uh, unless they want to hot shot it and do it sooner because of ratings and do something like that. But, you know, otherwise that makes sense. You know, w- when else, when else would it make the most sense to do Sasha Bailey timeline fits perfectly? I just hope that they can stretch it out that long without screwing it up beforehand.
0: Yeah. And that's if they want to keep them both as champion, but hopefully they have other plans. Cause while that sounds like it may work, um, then you're basically holding up the two women's titles Well, I I, I think,
1: you know, you know what you could do, though, is is have them lose the tag belts at at some point. You could still have that one on one Survivor Series match without the tag belts.
0: You could. You could. But even if they start having other people compete in the tag team division. You're still having a situation where, look, look, Sasha Banks and Bailey have been great. Okay, they've been the best consistent storyline of the pandemic era and the best of 2020, really, in WWE. Now that now that Edge is injured, especially. But the promos and the segments are getting very repetitive. There's only so many weeks that both of them in the ring laughing manically, saying they're the best, is going to keep working. So you need to right. adjust that story at some point. They have at least another week of it, because they have Sasha being able to celebrate on SmackDown, and the next week on Raw they can theoretically do a championship celebration. That'll work. But you can't have that for... Four more months uh, until Survivor Series, and then possibly another. What, it, what, it, what would that be? Four more months or five more months yeah. after that until WrestleMania. That's that's nine
1: more months of this. You can't really do it. So no, no that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. You you maybe have them lose the tag belts. You you got to get other women involved in other ways and having their own stories and doing certain things uh, as well. It can't only be around all Sasha Bailey for six six plus months. Right. Exactly.
0: Now. The other storyline coming out of this match is that we have officially said farewell to Kyrie Sane and her time in WWE. Obviously, in the finish, Sane got absolutely destroyed by Bailey, and I accept that part of the match and that part of the finish because it was a write-off, and it made sense that if you're going to change the title to do it in a manner such as that, considering the way they preceded it the week prior, you know, I will give them credit because they gave Kyrie Sane a victory in her final television match, and they had her beat the SmackDown Women's Champion. That gave Bailey a legitimate reason to be as angry as she was and attack Kyrie Sane with the viciousness that she displayed in that segment on Raw. So the mindset made sense, it made logistical sense, and the booking made sense. As I said earlier, if you want to have a fork finish, book it better. They could have done it again, plexiglass in the ringside area, etc., OK, but after the show and after, obviously, Asuka came out of the training room screaming because of seemingly how badly Kyrie Sane was beaten, uh, Sane basically confirmed reports that she has finished up with WWE. Those reports, by the way, have her going back to Japan as she's newly married. She just got married this year. WWE supposedly wants to maintain a working relationship with her. But there's also talks that she may go back to stardom and wrestle for another year, one year, before retiring for good. She was a stardom uh, champion. She was a huge name and face of that organization, as was Io Shirai, as was Asuka previously. So we're not exactly sure what's in Kyrie Sane's future, but in terms of her WWE career, many will say it was disappointing. And I do think she had the opportunity on the main roster to be a female Rey Mysterio. And they never really gave her that chance but in terms of her career as a whole she was only really there three years and i don't find what she accomplished to be disappointing she was frequently injured on the main roster which we don't know how that potentially changed booking for her but she was the first winner of the may young classic she was an nxt women's champion the longest reigning women's tag team champion alongside Asuka. she won her final match on smackdown over the women's champion and she was legitimately a huge fan favorite who kids loved so It was a three year run, maybe WWE knew, or maybe she had told them previously that she wasn't planning to stay for a long period of time. So they didn't want to build her up too much. But, you know, I thought three years, it was a really good tenure for Kyrie Sane in WWE. And I was glad she was there because I got the opportunity to see not weekly, but more frequently than I would have otherwise, if she was in stardom, uh, one of, you know, the these days, probably 10 best, but, but one of the during her time, five best women's wrestlers in the world. And arguably
1: the greatest elbow drop. in Since Randy Savage. The best elbow it, drop since Savage. I, I mean, obviously, t- I, honestly, you know, you could put them top two. It, it's up there. And uh, you're not going yeah, you
0: know, to put her over Savage. You know I
1: mean? I, it's hard not to know. You're right. You're right. You're right. But but it, it's more just a, a, a testament to, to how good that is. You know, her NXT run was was awesome. I liked her with Asuka. I liked the Kabuki Warriors. Uh, I loved her theme that they don't use anymore in WWE, but they did in NXT. The Shayna Shayna Baszler feud was was one of the top NXT feuds of all time, I thought. Um, Awesome stuff. And when I saw that she might be retiring, part of me... Part of me thinks that's good because I don't want to keep doing that elbow and you know <laughs> get hip injuries as a result of that. Every time I see something like that, you, you part of you cringes a little bit, but uh cause that, that that's a lot. you know, a top rope land on your hip elbow drop, does some damage. Uh, she's a tremendous wrestler, glad, glad we got to see her uh, as she did, and I think her and Asuka kind of brought a lot out of each other and I uh, hope she is uh, happy in japan they they did. They were really good as heels together, really good as faces
0: together. Um, I don't know if Kyrie Sane ever on her own would have had the main roster success that we all would have wanted for her. But I do think, like I said, that they did have the opportunity to make her the female Rey Mysterio and it just didn't happen. You know, they had other things that happened. Look, last year was, they had Ronda Rousey last year, you know, and they were booking Rousey, Bailey, and Charlotte. And they had some pretty big storylines. This year, like I said, she was injured for a period of time. She did leave for a period of time to get married. Kyrie Sane's 31. I mean, she's really like she looks young, but she is also legitimately young. Um, So who knows what's in her future? Maybe we get special appearances, women's Royal Rumble matches, things like that down the line. I do hope so. If she wrestles in stardom for another year or two, that's cool. But I think based on reports and no one really knows her that's reporting this stuff, but it does seem like she just got married. She wants to go back to Japan, which is where her husband is. So. I believe she was living in America without her husband, which is difficult, I can only imagine. And I think she wants to be a mother and things like that in relatively short order. So, you know, if that means for her that we only get what we get in WWE uh, and we don't see her consistently again, then I accept that, you know, but I do hope that Kyrie Sane is on our television in special circumstances, maybe a Mae Young Classic return, although that's really for budding superstars, maybe Women's Royal Rumbles and special matches, maybe she comes back at some point to face Asuka, which we never got to see, which is crazy that we never got to see that. Um, but, but, you know, there are things where I do think Kairi Singh can be a one-off superstar in WWE, and I do hope we get that long term. We're still in the main event here, and we are going to move off the women, but I am going to stay with Raw and the start of the show, because I, it's not just what happened with Sasha Banks and Asuka that made Raw a piece of shit. It was the whole show. And I mentioned earlier at the start of the main event that you can know 20 minutes into a show whether it's going to be bad. And I knew 20 minutes into Raw that it was going to be bad because it got off to a really strange, uneven, poorly booked start. You have Orton in the ring cutting a promo to open the show. That was good. We'll talk about that later. But any energy they had built up from the top heel in the company cutting a really good promo, they extinguished with Nia Jax entrance music playing and Nia Jax walking past him down the ramp to cut an awful, awful promo again in the ring. Then they have Shayna Baszler come out and confront her and the two began brawling. So, okay, they start brawling. WWE goes to commercial. We know what that means as WWE fans. They're going to come back from a commercial. They're going to have been separated. The bell's going to ring and there's going to be an impromptu match. Nope. Rather than have the match, they move on to a completely different segment, only to have them fight 20 minutes later on the same show. Not in hour two, not in hour three, not after another backstage blow up, but literally 20 minutes later, still in hour one. And then they give us that match and they give us an immediate, messy double count out that did not raise a shred of interest in a future match between the two. But between those two segments, what happened? We had a number one contendership for the Raw tag team titles, Andrade and Angel Garza, defeating Ricochet, Cedric Alexander, and the Viking Raiders in a triple threat match. It took us 25 minutes to get wrestling on the show. And when we did, we got six minutes of it before they cut to another commercial. And in those six minutes, there were tons of camera cuts to the Street Profits who were on commentary while Ricochet and Cedric Alexander were doing cool shit in the ring. I know it was a triple threat match. So there's no disqualification per the rules. But it seemed like this was a tornado match. I criticize AEW for this all the time. And it was just as blatant in this match as it is in, let's be candid, all of AEW's tag team matches for the most part. Ultimately, the action was entertaining in the match. And the booking was right with Andrade and Garza winning. They're the most believable people to challenge for the title. But they literally lost to the Street Profits in a non-title match last week. Again, this show was taped immediately after the previous show last Monday. So they knew that they had just lost a number one contendership match. Sorry, a non-title match to the champions. And then they turn around and give them the number one contendership to those same champions, despite not really even earning a spot in a number one contendership match. They give it to them anyway. By the way, on a side note, Zelina Vega looked like a million bucks. That's the most action I've had all year. But everything was wrong with the first hour of Raw after Orton's promo. It seems like WWE, Chris, does not realize hour one is about retaining viewers for the following two hours of your show. What they should have either done is had the Street Profits come out because since they were doing the ring announcing, have them come out and start announcing the stuff immediately after Randy Orton, have them interact with Orton a little bit on the ramp or... Don't have the Street Profits announce. Have Garza and Andrade come out and have some continuity where they dap up Orton on the ramp. And Orton says, hey, good luck in this match. They walk down to the ring. They start the match. You have, after you announce the three teams coming out of the commercial break, you have the profits on commentary. You have the match. And then you do the entire Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler segment after that. Or the other alternate option, is you have the Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler thing just as you did, which I think was a mistake. But then you come back from commercial, you have them brawl, you have them fight, you have their stuff ongoing. Referees have to separate them. You send them to the back. You then give us their match in hour three. And in the interim, you have the Street Profits uh, and, and the number one contendership match. This was just terribly booked. It made no sense. The pacing was wrong. Hour one of Raw... Honestly, the first 20 minutes, but the first hour told me the rest of the show was going to be shit. And I I didn't think that was actually going to pay off. I thought I was being pessimistic. People uh, on Twitter were like, hey, why are you so bothered by what they're doing in hour one? It'll all be it'll all be fine. It's all going to work out. Raw's been good recently. It wasn't. And hour one told us the first 20 minutes really told us
1: everything we needed to know. Again. Going 25 minutes without wrestling in the opening hour is something that would have happened back when we had crowds. It it was honestly not a rare thing to see. But when
0: there's crowds, though, it's okay because you're getting a response. Right. Right,
1: That's what I'm saying. They're they're playing to the crowd. They're doing promo parades. They're extending stuff, yada, yada, yada. That's why this was extremely weird to do a promo segment after another promo segment. And while I liked the Orton promo on its own, we'll talk about it later, but the other problem I had with it. But uh, yeah, just the organization was so weird. Part of me wonders, you know, if they chopped this episode up and, and didn't, you know, film things in different orders and and re- replaced it with, with other things. Just very, just very strange was, was the best way I would kind of describe how that thing started. And you're right. It, it had a weird, He uh, had a weird, bad feeling at the, at the beginning of it when Ajax came out in China and they're doing whatever and it's. Yeah, it's just a very strange start. Like, look, I don't mind Shayna
0: kicking Nia Jax's ass. Like, if they want to make Shayna look strong by have her run through the division week by week, do it. OK, and if you want her to take the title off Sasha, do it. Like, I don't that's not my ideal booking, but do it. OK, but to have them brawl and Nia Jax can't brawl. She, uh, man, I don't want to be disparaging. She can barely wrestle. Okay, but she and she can't brawl. She's throwing potatoes out there. I mean, we literally saw what happened with Becky Lynch when she, you tried to have her do a brawl like this, right? So you're putting two people in a really bad situation. They're not going to get over this way unless you're if you're if you want to turn Shane a face and, and have her be a badass face and have her beat Nia Jax and that works. Cool. I get the booking, but pay it off on Raw. This is not a Feud that needs to get extended two weeks, it extended two hours. That's what I'm trying to explain. If you want a brawl and they like, and they have to be separated in the backstage area, and then you have Adam Pierce or a producer come out and say, "Look, we're not, we we got to handle this, guys. We got to do something. Let's just book a match tonight. Let's settle it tonight." And you put it in hour three.
1: That's good booking. This was not good booking. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a fine one-off, one episode little you know, few like just for, for, for that. But again, these things get dragged on in ways that we never want them to.
0: And folks, like, I, I look, I know if anyone's a new listener to the show or this is the first episode you have, we don't do this. Generally, we're very positive or we try to stay positive. We criticize, but we try to be really positive with the product, especially during this era where we know Adam,
1: that... It's, Adam gets accused of being too pro-WW
0: and anti-AW. I know, I get I get accused of that. But... I've legitimately enjoyed their product during the pandemic era. It's not as exciting without fans. There's a lot of drawbacks. We don't have full rosters. But I'm trying to not think about coronavirus, right? I'm trying. I watch CNN, MSNBC. I watch the news, CBS News. I watch this stuff all day. I've been watching a ton of movies and TV shows to get my mind off being stuck in my house. And I really appreciate they're taking major risks. But that WWE, NXT, obviously, AEW, they're giving us entertainment and I appreciate it. And I'm giving them a little bit of a break. And largely, during this pandemic era, they have fixed WWE, I'm talking about, has fixed a lot of their ills. We talked about Mm -hmm. it because they have to book in advance, because they have limited roster sizes. They have figured out ways to give us compelling television with things that we want to see. We have Matt Riddle debuting AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan had a great match. They're giving us longer matches. They've tried some of the cinematic stuff. Some of it's been a home run. Some of it's been pop outs to first. I mean, you know, there's good and there's bad. But despite all the good I've seen, I'm just telling you, that's how bad Raw was on Monday night. And we're going to get off of that and talk about everything else that happened, both on Raw and SmackDown, because there were positives this week. And SmackDown, Chris, I thought was pretty good, all things mm-hmm. considered. I got to be honest. And SmackDown's really the show I've been criticizing largely. But if this is what Raw is going to be under Bruce Pritchard, and they think that this is going to save the ratings, they are sorely, sorely mistaken. This is what we saw on Monday night was WWE at its worst. It just was. And shame on them for doing that, knowing that they rewrote the episodes. They, they did it all in one shot after Extreme Rules. They knew the reception to Extreme Rules was bad. Monday, the, the, immediately, the show immediately following Extreme Rules We kind of said, hey, you know what? Some of that was pretty good. You know what? Some of that looks like they're trying to fix things. Let's see what happens next Monday. We gave them the benefit of the doubt. They gave us every reason to doubt going forward. Um, Let's move on to the last part of our main event. I want to talk about the bar fight between Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. Let's start with the setting. I know they may not have had many choices uh, for an Irish bar in and around Orlando. I figured they would go with something that was a little bit more authentic, then Irish Shannon's, you know, something without neon lights. Irish bars are generally dimly lit. There's a lot of brick, um, you know, I've been to many of them, but I've also been to Irish Shannon's a couple of times. So it was kind of weird to see a bar fight or Irish pub so brightly lit, yet it's a place I've been before. So it was also strange to see a place that I've actually been and eaten at and drank at on television. Uh, so that was all strange. But I guess ultimately they needed the space and they needed the ceiling height. And maybe that's why they chose that location. So if that's all the reasoning for the lighting purposes, all that, that makes sense. Uh, the opening segment to the show and the conversation between Hardy and Sheamus at the bar, I thought both were corny and overscripted. The quick Matt Hardy mention at the bar was a good touch, but not enough really to make that ring home. That was the negative that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the positive. As far as the fight, I actually liked it. I mean, I, I think I actually loved it.
1: It was was brutal.
0: Sheamus should wear that as his new ring gear going forward. He looked like a total (laughs) badass. The bathroom spot with the urinal and the brick wall spot were both really cool. Hardy powerbombing the hell out of that bartender through the high top table. Sheamus stopping for a pint of Guinness during the match. That's in character. And even if it was on a crash pad, the idea of Hardy doing a swanton bomb off a ladder in a bar onto concrete was cool as shit. It was awesome. So... It also kind of seemed like they used the match to introduce a new gimmick or a new phase of Hardy's character. It was almost like he was Bran Stark from Game of Thrones where he can come back after being knocked out, run through Sheamus with newfound aggression, get the one, two, three, and then switch back. That was kind of cool. So everything everything that preceded the fight, I thought was corny, but once they got into it, man, like that's a pay-per-view match. That should have legitimately been On the pay-per-view, we said the Swamp Fight was garbage. Uh, We said the unsanctioned match ended up being garbage on Raw last week, or at least I did. I forgot your opinion. But this was a pay-per-view quality match. This is a good cinematic match. And it was in the main event of SmackDown. So I know they did it for ratings. Fine. It it seems like it kind of worked a little bit. But ultimately, this seems to be the end of the feud. And
1: I know there were some down moments for some people.
0: Ultimately, I think this feud was a success.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I was down at it at times. I didn't like the P test stuff. But, you know, especially getting what we got on Raw a few days later, it made me appreciate it even more because, you know what? They told a story. They tried. They did something. You know, they, they put an effort into telling a story over a long and longish yep. period of time. And I can accept that. Maybe there's missteps along the way. It's not the best story in the world. But you know what? They stayed consistent with the story. They gave us a payoff, uh, a final match, and a payoff that made sense. And you know what? I'm I'm cool with that. The match was 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 like I said, pretty brutal. You know, throw them into the drum set. I thought it was cool, cool visuals. The the the, the like I said, the bar was was an interesting setup. I wasn't sure exactly if it was going to look fake or not, but to choose an actual bar, you know, it it worked out. It was pretty good, honestly. And and you see that, and you're like, oh, you know. They can't, you know, this is what, this is the kind of effort they can put into things. And it makes it that much more frustrating when they don't.
0: Exactly. And and it is a low bar where we kind of say, hey, well, at least they put effort into it. So we'll give them two thumbs up. But the truth is there's a lot of things that WWE doesn't put effort into these days. And when you see a two-month storyline where they started it with a write-off for an injured person in Elias, they figured out a way to write him off. They gave you a hook that on that first SmackDown that made you want to watch that two-hour show to see what happened. Were they really doing this type of storyline? It was controversial. There were some other segments. Some of them were funny. Some of them weren't. Okay, you're going to have wins and losses. It's fine. Um, Just like, honestly, with AEW, I can say the same thing, the Orange Cassidy, Chris Jericho. Some of those work. Some of those don't, those segments. The Orange Juice, you know, I don't know how you felt, but whatever. My point is, just because it's a long-term storyline doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be 100% hits, but this to me was largely successful. And the goal was to get Jeff Hardy over back in the main event again, for him to say, hey, I am making a run for the Universal Championship. I'm not back just to be back. I'm back to be the best version of myself and maybe even overcome the demons uh, of alcoholism and and drug issues and some of the things that he's dealt with in his career. So telling real life storylines on television Is not a bad thing for me. And that's ultimately what they did here. It also has me wondering, Chris, what the long term booking plan is. Because tell me what you think about this The Fiend beats Braun Strowman at SummerSlam. We've all been expecting that. They book long term Jeff Hardy beating The Fiend, kind of a demon, a devil type of character at WrestleMania. It's something I brought up when Hardy first came back. But now, given the fact that he seems to have the supernatural type of power. I don't know what they're th- going to call I, I thought, it.
1: I, I thought you were going to hit me with the it drop there. No, no, no.
0: But he has that supernatural type of thing where he was able to change his eyes, the, the contacts, you know, they went white, then they came back and he showed up with face paint all of a sudden when he didn't before. It kind of says to me they're going in that type of direction with Jeff Hardy. And if they're doing that on a brand that already has the fiend, it kind of tells me they may be doing that a long-term feud, long-term book a Jeff Hardy-Fiend match and have him be the one who finally ultimately is able to defeat The Fiend at a WrestleMania match or something like that. Look, maybe that's not what they're going to do. But to me, it's speaking to me in that way because the main event picture on SmackDown right now is not very strong. And there's only so many people that Braun Strowman or The Fiend can go through as champion before someone comes along, takes the title off one of them and has a legitimate run as a new type of champion. And I think
1: it's going to be Jeff Hardy. No. Yeah. I mean, that's what we thought when, when he first came back, they'd get to that at some point. Um, you know, WrestleMania kind of changed a number of things, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think Jeff Hardy Fiend would be good again. I'm curious how they would be able to stretch it all the way to WrestleMania if they get there, because if the Fiend wins, where is he going to go next? He's probably going to have to have a feud or two that he comes out on top, because you don't want him to win the belt and immediately right. lose it again. So I'm I'm curious where Jeff Hardy goes from here, because you're right, it feels like him him versus Fiend, whether that's I guess at Survivor Series or at WrestleMania, would be um, I, I think a pretty good. Uh, situation. It's kind of where I think we 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 thought we would get to at some point, maybe just a bit later than uh, we first thought. Yeah, I mean, look, Daniel Bryan's gone. Bree, Bree's
0: is about to give birth if she hasn't already. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ Styles is a heel. Uh, Braun Strowman is the current champion. Obviously, we're expecting him to lose the title. Uh, Sheamus is a heel. Uh, who whose main event faces? Matt Riddle they, is in the thing with Baron Corbin,
1: and you and you're just debuting him, so you don't want him to lose to the Fiend. Who do they got? The other one I was going to bring up, uh, which I think they I think it was on this Smackdown that they brought it up was uh, or maybe the week before is, yeah, no, it's this one. Big E. Big going, E, right. Go, going on his own for a singles run after he got the blessing from Kofi. I don't know if I don't know if Big E going immediately into a main event championship feud. Curious how they would get there. But uh, it's something we've always wanted, that Big E singles run and and in in some form and maybe that maybe they start working toward that
0: well that's what i was going to talk about next so good transition out of the main event into what else went down uh, monday and friday on raw and smackdown respectively there's no segment from this week on raw or smackdown that got me as excited as a simple backstage conversation between kofi kingston and biggie it was honest to life meaning it was accurate to the dynamics of the new day and there's Few things I've wanted more in WWE. Anyone who has listened to me talk about wrestling on any podcast over the last three plus years, there are few things I've wanted more in wrestling in WWE than Big E to get a legitimate opportunity with a singles push. And I'm talking main event. Now, mid card works. You want to make him intercontinental champion? We'll talk about that possibility. But Big E, long-term in WWE, is a main event superstar. He is a world champion. He has every ounce of charisma you could ever want. He has every look that you could ever want. He can be serious. He can be corny. He can be comedic. He can talk on the mic. He has the entire charismatic package and the man can freaking wrestle. He's strong as hell. He's huge, built up like a God. Okay, the guy can wrestle. Um, He's an incredible moveset. He is a really good finisher. This is a main event superstar. Kofi Kingston had his time. He's a veteran. Kingston and Xavier Woods, when Woods comes back, can be a tag team. They can be the tag team version of New Day when Woods is healthy again. In the meantime, strap a forking rocket to Big E. Hopefully this lasts longer than six weeks. I am so excited. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. Please gently, gently. I'm I'm delicate. Put your meat on
1: my meat. Biggie singles push. I am all in, folks. Biggie is is face of the company type guy. Put this guy on the radio interviews, on the TV interviews, on everything. We have felt this for a long time. Everybody has known this. Uh, like I just said, I'm curious to see where it goes or how it gets, how it gets there. But I hope this is the start of something six months from now they have plans where they want Biggie to be, you know, down the road and they're going to start building in there because like you just laid out, he can do absolutely everything. He is a, he is the type of guy can be a crossover mainstream star. Uh, just he he, total package, total package is is what Biggie has. And I think this is a great, great opportunity here. And by the way, he's always had it like, yes, when he when he first
0: debuted, you could say maybe needs to work on promos a little bit, whatever. But the confidence that he has found in being himself by being aligned with Kofi and Xavier Woods, that really all three of them, there's maybe no faction in the history of wrestling. I said faction, I mean group. Sorry, there's probably no group in the history of wrestling. That has done more for the individual members of the group than New Day, and I mean that. Four Horsemen, yes, it helped Ric Flair and Arne and all those guys be major stars. Evolution did very much, very much help Batista and Randy Orton. But those guys, I, I can't necessarily say Batista would have been a main eventer without Evolution. Randy Orton would have been. Well, Triple H and Ric Flair are
1: already, already were. These guys were floundering. These guys were lost. That's where... Lost. Before they came together. And now that, they are yeah. all top stars. That's what I'm getting at. Now, Batista was floundering
0: too. I mean, he was Deacon Batista working with, you know, with Devon. That wasn't sure. really going well. You didn't necessarily know whether he had a personality. So Evolution did a shit ton for Batista. But again, Randy Orton would have gotten there no matter what. So I look at New Day as someone that has taken Xavier Woods. who I love the guy. He's really good in the ring. One of the most underrated wrestlers in the entire company, by the way. I don't know that they would have figured something out for him. Biggie would have probably been okay, but would he have had the would he have been maybe more like Cesaro, where he's a great wrestler, awesome technician, he's always involved, but he doesn't have that future that you think guys should have. Kofi Kingston, without New Day, never would have been WWE champion. We know this, despite the fact that he should have been way earlier than he actually was. But what this group has done for all three guys has just elevated all of them. And, and they say they never want to break up and they never storyline-wise even want that teased in a, in a major way or a meaningful way.
1: I agree. Yeah. Not every group... Not, not, not every group... Yeah, I'm sorry, you were about to no, say Not me. every group needs to break up. Not every group needs to break up. They don't.
0: And they have ready-made right now, just as they did when Kofi was champion and he was going on that run and the rest of New Day did tag team. Well, guess what? You can do the exact same thing. Have these guys be the support system long-term for Big E as a main event singles competitor. And you have Kofi and and Xavier Woods, who work great together, by the way. Yes, the tag team element does work a little bit better with Big E because he's the big guy. Yes. But Kofi and Woods work great. They can be a long-term tag team, and Big E can be a long-term singles competitor. And yes, if there needs to be a time period where he's not in that picture, he can be a tag champ or they can compete together, or they can be in a six-man feud, whatever the case. But Biggie, long term, now I'm going to play it. You've been waiting for it. This guy has it so much, it that it's pouring out of him, not just figuratively, sometimes literally. Uh, well,
1: one other, one other guy that comes to mind who should get a singles run and a singles push in some form, and maybe he could be the next guy for the fiend. In, in a short term situation is it, it ties into the previous part conversation we had. But uh, John Morrison, um, he, he's a guy I'd like to see kind of get more of a, a singles push but another potential option for presumably the Fiend coming out of summertime as well, if they don't want to go straight into Big E. My issue with Morrison.
0: Is well, first of all, Morrison's a heel. So with Fiend, that's tough. But
1: my issue with Mor- I, I, and, and and he was I, just involved they, in, and was he just they, involved they, in the storyline, too? Kind of, right. They did Ms. Fiend, I think, or Ms. Bray Wyatt, I guess. I, I think you can, you can make it work. He's like, he's a heel, but he's kind of like a funny heel. So yeah. as like a one-off, you know, one-month type thing, I think you do. It. But Morrison in general, I think I'm ready for him to get a singles run as well.
0: See, my issue with Morrison since he's come back is he's, they've, they've relegated him to this Ms. TV and Ms. Roll being his tag team partner, yeah. and I think they're both worse off for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know they like each other and they're friends in real life and all that. But the Ms. TV segments have been awful. And we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Um, and the backstage comedy stuff between the two, the music videos were funny. But the, yeah. the, the comedy stuff between the two, it's really dry. And without an audience to kind of laugh or giggle in the background to sell it, it just comes off as it's unfunny even though some of it is legitimately funny. I thought some of the stuff Morrison did on Friday was actually pretty funny, but it just comes off as corny and dry and shitty. So do I want John Morrison in a main event match as a comedic type of heel slash face slash tweener character against the fiend? Not really. If Morrison, if you have him start winning some matches.
1: Right. That's building
0: and building up a resume where this guy is really good. And he starts getting overconfident. And The Miz even kind of puts a challenge out. This guy's ready for a title match. And The Fiend pops on screen. Okay, maybe you can book it. But the incarnation that we have of Morrison as of today, I just can't see it. And I do think ultimately that SmackDown has an issue uh, in terms of main event faces right now, given Roman Reigns being out, Daniel Bryan being out, others not competing. My concern with Biggie challenging The Fiend, potentially, and not going through what... My thought, my booking for Big E is you have him beat AJ Styles for the Intercontinental Title at SummerSlam. Very easy. You have Styles beat Grand Metalik next week. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, And Big E comes back. He wins a couple matches. He challenges him. They fight on the pay-per-view. Big E wins. Rocket strapped. You're done. Instead, the idea that Big E wins a bunch of matches and starts looking really strong as a singles competitor and then just gets obliterated by The Fiend... It knocks him all the way back down. That's the problem yep. with The Fiend. The biggest issue yep. with The Fiend, and we saw it with Seth Rollins, is you can't book him to lose, especially not as champion. And, and we saw it with Goldberg, too. I mean, that was just a piece of shit. Um, but you can't book him to lose. But when you book him to win, he has to be strong. And that hurts the person he beats. He's too strong of a character. I don't know how you fix that. And I don't know how you feed people to him that... Don't get crushed. The Daniel Bryan did a great job because it's Daniel Bryan, because he was he was allowed to book and, you know, figure out the way to make that work. But with Miz, it knocked him down such a huge peg. He had to revert to being a tag team partner with John Morrison coming back. Seth Rollins turned him into the Messiah. Finn Balor had sent him to NXT. So it's really a difficult scenario when you're dealing with The Fiend. And I'd be very scared if their booking was for Big E to get fed to the fiend that quickly without being intercontinental champion in between. Yep, exactly. Okay, Uh, let's move on uh, to the WWE Championship. Uh, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton are set for SummerSlam. I thought Orton's promo at the beginning of the show was a really strong start to raw, got the job done to lay out his claim to the title. It's a bit strange for a 40 year old guy calling himself a legend to also refer to himself as the legend killer. The moniker is better, obviously. For a younger guy. Nevertheless, good promo to start the show. That's kind of where it ends for me, though, because McIntyre, before his stipulation non-title match with Dolph Ziggler that Ziggler claimed would get him a title shot if he won, he just accepts Orton's challenge that easily. Uh, It definitely could have dragged out one or two, two more weeks, or they could have done something where McIntyre had the match with Ziggler, Orton RKO's him, And then McIntyre like turns over on the mat with a mic. He's like writhing in pain from the RKO. And he's like, you want that match? I accept it, SummerSlam. And that's how you end Raw. Again, another situation, the same booking, slightly different, makes it worlds better. As far as the match goes, and you can talk after this, I initially thought WWE did Sasha Banks and Asuka a disservice by not putting their title match in the main event. But considering the intensity level of this match, the quality of the fighting, and the finish with the table spot, and then Orton's RKO out of nowhere, I at least understand why this main event of the
1: show. So I had a lot of problems with a lot of this. Uh, I'm I'm not going to go into a long thing like you did on the women, but (laughs) Randy Orton, I, I just have a problem with the order of all of this stuff. Randy Orton's promo was good, but... I, I did. You didn't need it. Like we had a title match coming up later in the later in the night. Let's finish that before we move into the next thing. And then we have McIntyre cutting a promo on Orton, accepting a challenge when we're supposed to believe he might not be the champion. What if he well, loses this match to Ziggler? It was a non-title match. But go
0: ahead. Wait, wait. Oh, wait. This was a non-title match, and that's another problem. I will let you finish, but. D- the way WWE announced it I've been so match. confused by this. Yeah, for two weeks, I've been so confused by this. No. So ba- basically, on last week's show, uh, Drew basically said, you know what, You give me two weeks and I'll come up with a, a, a stipulation for you, which made everyone believe that the match was going to be in two weeks. It was going to be for the title and it was going to be a stipulation <laughs> match. Then later in the same show on Monday night, they said that it was going to be next week. Then in announcements promoting Raw, basically during the week, They said it was a non-title match. Then they said that the the promotion for the match on Raw was that Drew McIntyre would pick the stipulation. They didn't say that he'd pick the stipulation for the match on Monday. They just said he'd pick the stipulation. Which led me to believe- Yeah, maybe the match wasn't this week. Right, we might get a promo segment and then the match might be two weeks from now. So again, 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 Raw sucked, okay? The The booking was shit. And this is another example- of it doesn't need to be this hard. They taped these shows. They could have redone the segment or they could have explained it at the end of Raw or Tuesday after Raw went off the air, they could have clarified, this is what's happening next week on the show. But instead they drag it out and it's just dog shit. It's another example of why Raw on Monday was awful. Continue your
1: point, I'm sorry. No, I I have to change my point now because I was unaware of that. I had been very confused by this and was under the impression he was immediately accepting it a, a uh a, a title fight in which case if it was not a title fight yes the women should have been the main event that was a championship match I had said last I had said last week I was fine with McIntyre Ziggler being the main event because it was the WWE championship because I I thought it was a championship match uh so woof okay I still don't like I I still am not a fan of the way it played out I would have preferred no Orton promo. I don't know what you do at the beginning. Figure something out. But McIntyre wins, and the very first we start the McIntyre Orton feud with an RKO out of nowhere after the after the win. Then we go into the promos, and Orton can cut the promo that he that he cut after the fact next week, something like that to set up to set up a whole another feud ahead of a. Okay, it wasn't a title match. It was still a main event match. Uh, kind the whole of, point of it. The whole point of it was
0: Dolph. Dolph wanted another title match. Yeah. Drew so said. I got Drew said no. I don't understand, but I'm explaining. Drew yeah. said no. Dolph said, "Look, let's just have a match. You pick the stipulation. I'm going to win anyway. I'm going to get a title match." It wasn't necessarily the stipulation of the match was not to give Ziggler a title shot, but the insinuation and the backstage promo that Ziggler cut said, "I'm going to beat Drew McIntyre with him choosing the stipulation, and then I'm going to beat him for the title at SummerSlam." So you're even though it wasn't a title match, your your argument is still correct because they started a feud before the other one ended, and they yes. started it. They started it blatantly. They didn't start it with Randy Orton coming out and saying, "I need. To, I have to go after bigger fish. I've already killed the legends and and made it kind of murky on what he was going to do next." He straight up called out Drew McIntyre, which meant you knew the finish of the match, or the yep. finish of the show was going to include an RKO out of, out of nowhere. Yep.
1: Yep. And like tell- telegraphed it. it- Yes, and I know the ratings are a situation you want to keep people watching. You can't just throw something in at the end and, and whatever. But from just from a straight up storytelling standpoint, I didn't like that they started a new feud before finishing this one. I think it would have been a great way for Orton to announce that he's going for the title instead of just saying it. Would have been an RKO to know her. Oh, whoa! We're getting Orton. We're getting Orton McIntyre now. I can't wait to see what Orton has to say about this next week as we go off the air. We've already heard what he has to say. Now, now we got. Now we're gonna have to fill three weeks of them talking about each other, even though we kind of already got that on this same episode.
0: Quick booking, okay? RKO out of nowhere. He's on the canvas. He's writhing in pain. Orton grabs the mic, starts cutting his promo. McIntyre starts getting up. Orton punk kicks him, right? So now the champion who laid out Brock Lesnar, who's been the strong-ass dude, is laid out by Randy Orton. And he's able to finish his promo because he has the time, because McIntyre, the champion's not a threat anymore in the moment. You go off the air with Orton, yelling at him, screaming into the camera, whatever you want. And now you're interested in what the hell is Drew McIntyre going to do next week? And the entire promotion for next week's show is how is Drew McIntyre going to answer Randy Orton, blah, blah, blah. It's really, really simple wrestling 101 booking. And they somehow managed, as I pointed out, and as you pointed out, to totally screw it up and present it, not screw it up, it wasn't terrible, but present it in the least interesting manner. Exactly. And yes, 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 sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. This is not one of those cases. Let's move on. We got got more wrestling to talk about. We had Seth Rollins call out Dominic Mysterio. And look, there are some who don't like this incarnation of Rollins. I think he's absolutely killing it. He does an incredible job, not just storytelling, but explaining the motivations for his character and then expressing those through action. Rollins and Murphy were awesome running through Dominic and Aleister Black outside the ring with Rollins forcing Murphy basically to take Black's eye the same way that Rollins did Mysterio. Then you have Dominic who bumped like a mofo, right? All those bumps outside the ring, grabs a kendo stick and lays it in thick on both Rollins and Murphy, beats the ever-loving shit out of them i know i've said shit a lot on this show i don't normally do that but i mean th- this is appropriate i, I there's a w- million ways we can go from here uh we'll talk about that in a moment but man what did you think of that segment
1: i was su- I, I my first thought was i was surprised dominic's still backing around i, I you know we had thought you know hey dominic's gonna turn on ray at some point or whatever maybe it'll drag on but now that ray is gone i kind of figured that was the end of the mysterio bit i was surprised that dominic showed up and was part of this, but I thought it played out well for exactly the reason you said, you know, we, they, they've talked about how, you know, Alistair Black is friends with all them and, and stuff like that. And and Dominic performed well every time, you know, the handful of times we've seen him in action, whether it's running around the the outside or, or, or taking a bump or, or doing something. He's done a pretty good job. So it, it's still a little weird because he's, you know, he's Ray's son and Ray's gone. Really or whatever, awful, but it, it, yeah, but the execution has been pretty good. You know, people don't like Dominic. I don't get it.
0: Like you said, everything he's done to this point, promo-wise, good. Uh Athletic-wise, the guy's athletic as hell. He's big. I mean, he stands up to Seth Rollins. Like, he's bigger than yeah. Rollins.
1: Like, it's crazy. I, I, yeah, I, I think there's a sense of, there's a natural inclination to be, to, to get upset when there's a non-wrestler technically taking the spot of what could be a wrestler. Hey, how about you just, highlight Alistair Black and, and Humberto and whoever else you want to throw in there instead of throwing Dominic in there, because we've seen this time and time again in the past. And, and, but I, I, I think it's, I think I have no problem with it in this case. Look, this kid, this kid's 23 years old. He is
0: from a wrestling family. Okay. You don't fit. I know he's 23. Has he trained in the, has he trained in the WWE performance center for X years? No, probably not. But you know what he's done? He's wrestled his father a ton, a ton. His father is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He's wrestled many of his father's friends, probably in California and in Mexico, probably a ton. So does this guy have the training and has he gone through the rigors of the independent scene and all the difficulties that people go through? No, no, he hasn't. Is he talented? Does he probably have wrestling in his blood and clearly the talent to do it on a professional stage? This is raw. He looks like he belongs. So you can crap on, people can crap on Dominic Mysterio all they want. I'm a fan of Dominic Mysterio. Like yeah, this is a kid uh, who hopefully no time soon, but I could see like eight years from now, this guy being a champion, like a, like a world champion,
1: potentially oh, he has the, this. is He has it all. Yeah, this is why we want to see him turn on his dad and, and do something out of it, because he's 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 been doing a good job. Yeah. Now, I don't know where this is all going to go,
0: man, but I really, really hope it's Rollins, Aleister Black at SummerSlam because I think it's well, got to be. At this look, tour. we're we're huge Alistair Black fans, or at least I am on this podcast. I don't think I ever yeah. asked you whether you are. I'm a huge Alistair Black fan. Part of the reason we loved Heyman's booking is because Alistair Black continued his undefeated streak and looked insanely strong mm-hmm. and was never really booked to look bad. And people are upset that Alistair Black's getting hurt here, but I'm not. He's getting outnumbered. Um, and these guys are being assholes to him, right? And he's a face. So it's okay that this stuff's happening, but either they're writing him off which would be disastrous and the opposite of the point of this. Or they are having Rey Mysterio take a break for a period of time um, or they're not sure what his contract situation is. He's not under contract with WWE right now. They're still negotiating. And they have Alistair Black fight Seth Rollins in a major singles match at a major pay-per-view and hopefully win. And if that's the booking, that's good for Alistair Black. So right now I'm still an optimist. I thought this was the best segment on the entire show. This was a total win for me. Um, I was just really this was the lone bright spot really on Raw.
1: Yeah, it, it was pretty good. I mean, I didn't think it was like you know the amazing, great stuff, but I, I if it I think it's taking us to Aleister Black versus Seth, which I'm excited for. So I think it's a good good step forward. I just feel like on a show of
0: of crap, it was sure uh, it was a bright spot where I said I enjoyed sure. that.
1: Yeah, that
0: segment I enjoyed. Uh, let's move on to SmackDown. The number one contendership for the Intercontinental Title. Grant, listen to the names in this match. Grand Metalik defeats Shorty G, Drew Gulak, and Lince Dorado. And this is for the Intercontinental Championship number one contender. Now, for a long period of time in WWE, the US title, the Intercontinental Championship would have been contested among guys like this. And that is not to diminish these guys. These are four very talented wrestlers. They're four of the best wrestlers in the company. I mean, there's, there's a lot of great wrestlers in WWE, but the athleticism of Metalik and Dorado, Drew Gulak's technical acumen, Gable, pound for pound, honestly, maybe the best wrestler in the company or pretty close to it. So this was, no joke, a fantastic fatal four-way match. But in the era where the Intercontinental title was not treated well, these would be the guys contesting for it. And the reason that's a problem is WWE's booking. In this match, Gren Metalik and Lindsay Dorado should have been treated like two incredible wrestlers because guess what? They're an incredible tag team that has never had a title. Shorty G, Chad Gable, who I will f- refer to that as going forward. I'm just making a point here. Chad Gable, again, one of the best wrestlers in the company was the MVP of the entire match and probably should have won. Drew Gulak, we just saw obviously in the feud with Daniel Bryan, he beat AJ Styles. So they've given him a little bit of legitimacy. But these are guys who we should think of belong in a number one contendership match. Instead, it was a bit of a surprise that these were the guys in the match. I hope that point is that point coming through clear.
1: Yeah, no. And it kind of highlights something we didn't we didn't talk about on Raw. I don't know if we're going to get to it or not. But when Mustafa Ali came out for the. VIP we're going to lounge, that, we're gonna get to that in a moment. I, I'm just going to say okay. that they, they gave you a promo to explain why this guy matters. And that's what that's what we could have used before this Intercontinental Championship match was was highlighting why these guys matter and getting, you know, telling you they're a big deal before you see them wrestle, as opposed to having the reaction of, well, these are the guys in the match. It's a really good point. They opened SmackDown with that same kind of segment that
0: they did the prior week, except this week it was only Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. What, What they should have done is had Jeff Hardy and Sheamus do their part. And then the four competitors in this match each cut their solo promos into the camera. I have a huge opportunity tonight. I've never been a singles champion in WWE. This is my opportunity, I'm gonna make the most of it. You have four different guys cut different versions of that promo, Metalik and Dorado both speak English very well, by the way, for anyone who thinks they don't because they don't get a lot of mic time. Um, But yes, they should have set up the match in that way to explain that this is a huge momentous opportunity for these four competitors. But my bigger issue, though, obviously, is that you have this match with four guys who are deserving of this opportunity, but in kayfabe aren't. And that's the bigger issue. In kayfabe, they all should have been deserving of this opportunity. But as I said, getting to the match, Gable was by far the biggest star. He showed it again. Every time he gets an opportunity in the ring, this guy shows out in a major way. Mm -hmm. It was a little disappointing he didn't get the booking. But since we know that ultimately there's not going to be a title change, I mean, we assume that Styles is not going to lose to Grand League. I accept it. But if it was going to be anyone else in this match other than Chad Gable winning, the king of the effing ropes winning with that tightrope elbow drop gets it done for me. Now he gets an intercontinental title match against AJ Styles. It's going to be an absolutely amazing match. I am so stoked for this match on Friday.
1: Yeah, uh, like I said, it's not like we expect a title change, but I think it's going to be a very fun exciting match, which is what you want out of the Intercontinental title, which is what it should be and, and I, I think will continue to be. So it was, it was a good, good fatal four-way match. I would have loved a little more build, uh, like I said, for it. And, and, and maybe they'll do that ahead of this week is kind of explain more about Grand League and kind of get you more invested in him heading into the match. Sure. Now let's
0: move on. As you mentioned with Mustafa Ali in the VIP lounge, I thought Ali did well enough on the mic. But this was extremely formulaic for me. As I've said, I don't think that these talk show segments really work in the pandemic era. Ms. TV being the worst of them since it's based on comedy. VIP Lounge has been OK. I'd rather them do something different. They're in the performance center. Why not bump into each other in the gym? Or why not do a scheduled meeting? Since MVP is supposed to be a professional who wears a suit and a tie and they're the hurt business. Why not meet in one of their meeting rooms and have a sit down? And you know, ha- have a conversation with Ali where they try to recruit him uh, into the hurt business. He turns them down. They say, "Hey, you know what? You're gonna fight Lashley later in the sh- you know later tonight, or make believe it was a meeting that happened earlier. Whatever the case, do something freaking different. Stop doing in ring talk show segments. It's annoying. I thought Ali did well enough in his promo, but then they have the match with Bobby Lashley, which was just so disappointing for me. Ali bumped like crazy in and out of the ring. He took an absolute beating in this match. He got about 30 seconds total of offense before getting caught in the full Nelson and tapping out. What a waste it was to bring this guy back after so long to have him get absolutely obliterated in a singles match. Lashley is supposed to be dominant. I get it. But they didn't need to feature a newly returning Ali in this manner. Yes, Ali beat the quote unquote champion MVP last week in his return. So you're like, okay, they had a six-man match. Ali's getting a little bit of momentum. He beat the champion. Maybe since Apollo Crews is going to be out for a while, they're going to give him an interim title match or they're going to do a feud with MVP and Ali that he can win to give him a little bit of a boost. Instead, they turn around one week later. Again, folks, these episodes were taped on the same day and they were booked with this knowledge in mind. They have Ali win. And beat the quote unquote U.S. champion and then have him get destroyed
1: by Bobby Lashley.
0: Zero point
1: zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yeah, I, I mean, you summed up pretty well. There are too many talk show segments. There's frankly too many promos in the ring. You don't need to do it. It's a little easier now that you have a crowd to react to certain things and they can kind of get the reactions that they want. But you still, you have this whole performance and you can do chance encounters outside or other rooms and they've done 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 a couple things. They've done a couple things by that other ring that's nearby. They do a lot of meetings there. I'm generally okay with MVP doing a talk show though because... His, his he's one of the best talkers, maybe the best talker they got. So he keeps me engaged. I thought, but I thought this segment with Mustafa was kind of, you knew where it was going to go. This is the type of thing they would typically do in front of a crowd all the time. Hey, why don't you join us? He says no, beats him up, yada, yada. I, I think there was a more creative way you could have done it. And then, yeah, to then have him immediately lose to Bobby Lashley was just like, why? What? It's like it's it's like another. Many of the things on Monday, it was like they weren't thinking two steps down the road here. Okay, what's next? What what's the point of bringing him back, having this big deal, and then immediately having him look poor and lose to Bobby Lashley? And I know we just said you can lose and look okay. He didn't. As, he got his ass kicked. No, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. So yeah. like there there are there are better ways to do this, and it was just. A further highlight of an incredibly uncreative episode of RAW. Yes, hundred percent.
0: I did like the sneak attack from Tazawa. I, the ninja stuff's overplayed now, and it's annoying. But the twenty four seven title is a joke as it is. Him coming from under the ring during a match, trying to roll him up, and then all those guys getting their asses kicked. Like that—that that little stuff with the twenty four seven title is okay, you know. Yeah. So that was a yeah. decent usage of that in that situation. But you—you know, you know why the APA were cool, man? The APA were cool because they didn't just set up a card table in the ring and have people come out there and do segments under the lights. They were cool because they had like their area and they had that fake door, I think sometimes and people knocked and they came in and they had to approach them and and interact. And not every single thing resulted in a match. Sometimes there were backstage beatings and things like that. These guys are the hurt business. And we're going to talk. We're going to stay on this topic, by the way. Uh, but these guys are the Hurt Business. They're trying to be a faction, although they only have three members. They obviously need to increase that. Um, but they're trying to do something with these guys. Make them cool. You, you have MVP. He's cool. Bobby Lashley is pretty cool. Shelton, not so much. But but, but these guys are cool, right? So yeah, have them in that other performance center ring that you mentioned, or an area in the locker room, or have them take one of the meeting rooms and and. Decorate it for a while, you know, her business, LLC, INC, something like that. Make these guys into a, like a record label maybe type of stable or, or yeah. have them be a corporation idea or, or do something with them that sets them apart from everyone else. And if you do that with a group, then they don't have to keep winning. Lashley doesn't really need to be WWE champion for them to be strong because they're operating as a unit. Instead, you just have them kind of all meandering around the ring in a fake VIP lounge. Basically, what I'm trying to say is turn a meeting room in the performance center into the VIP lounge if you want. Just make it cool as hell like that. Um, But but do something good with these guys. Have people approach them for help, opportunities, have them bring people in for meetings like Ali and try to convince them to join only for it to fail. Have some succeed. They shake people's hands and, and now their group grows larger. These are the types of things that you need to do. And this all comes, by the way, on the heels. I mentioned Ron Simmons for a reason. We've seen Ron Simmons and Mark Henry backstage a bunch over the last two weeks. Well, reports are, and this isn't a spoiler because it doesn't seem like they're doing it, that WWE and Vince McMahon were thinking about, instead of the Hurt Business, reforming the Nation of Domination. They were going to have Ron Simmons and Mark Henry be there with MVP Bobby Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, and supposedly Apollo Cruz. I don't know how they would have booked that but to reform the Nation of Domination on Raw. But it got scrapped, largely it seems because people felt that doing that type of gimmick and having them be heels in this particular climate with Black Lives Matter and everything else that's going on would have really been a big mistake. Um, Now, I think they could have done it without them being heels or even if they were heels without doing maybe the black power fist, or maybe just changing a little bit. But the other thing they could have done is just had Ron Simmons and Mark Henry standing there talking to MVP and Bobby Lashley and done the group, but have it be called the Hurt Business, just as it is now. Basically do the exact same idea, but have those guys lend advice to these younger dudes and kind of say, hey, we're here to help you. We're gonna tell you why NOD worked, how it was successful, And we're going to give you those lessons and we're going to prop you guys up for you to succeed with the Hurt Business. So they could have still done something like that instead, since I guess they flew Mark Henry and Ron Simmons into the Performance Center, they just had them randomly in backstage segments talking to talent and they have the Hurt Business operating the way it already was operating. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think like NOD would have worked or do you think having them involved in Hurt Business would have worked?
1: I I would not have trusted or do not trust WWE no, to properly handle uh, that delicacy uh, in a situation like this. Um, so I, I think it's probably for the best that they didn't specifically do a nation of domination. That said, I really like seeing Ron Simmons around and him being a serious, strong dude now instead of just making the damn joke every time like like he so often is when he comes back and it becomes a comedy bit. I like when the, the veterans come back and they give serious advice and it all treats everybody seriously. So, you know, whether or not Ron Simmons is involved with them, I don't know. But I, I like the possibilities there. Uh, I love your idea of having a VIP lounge somewhere in the performance center and going back to it. And we've said this for months. You have this giant building you're not moving build some sets like you can do stuff all around this building they only either do it they they basically just do it at that one ringside practice ring is pretty much what they do they're all all their backstage promos are just a regular interview uh there's still an opportunity to really get creative with all the stuff they have and all the space they have in that room and, and 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 do something fun and i think vip lounge would be a great idea uh, I, I I hope they continue this group, hopefully faction with MVP at some point. It continues to feel a lot like the beatdown clan he had in TNA for a short run, which was really strong. You know, while it was while it was going on there. So uh, I hope they keep doing this. I, I want them to keep the MVP Lashley Shelton Benjamin do whatever you are gonna do, keep that going. Um, probably don't do a Nation of Domination though. No, yeah, that's
0: that was my kind of what I was getting at, which is don't do the nation, but you can still do the idea. You yeah. don't have to go as far. And yes, I don't trust WWE to book that type of concept at this time. One hundred percent. What I would say is. I've been to the Performance Center twice and I've gotten opportunities to go in and around it to see what they actually have to offer. There may, there's not as much space as I'm making it sound. The main conference room they have is actually relatively small. They have a really big conference table in that room. So could they make it work? They could make lighting. They could probably paint it in a way that the room looked a little bit bigger. Um, They could put a couch against the wall and so on. Maybe the VIP lounge in the conference room, like I'm trying to say, wouldn't work. I was just thinking back on it while you were talking. Uh, You know, they have they have greater
1: flexibility, obviously, at WWE. I mean, even with this, you know, like, like, you know, back back in the late 90s, Vince would have meetings and whatever, you know conference room, just regular well, room. They
0: have a lot of they, the rooms. But you, what I'm getting at is a lot of the rooms and a lot of the offices there are actually small.
1: So I'm so sure.
0: This, but, I, sure I'm, but, you know, I'm, no, but, but my point what I was going to get at where, where I'm lending, lending credence to your point and my point, our ideas is there. So I've been there again, like I said, they're in like an industrial park, right? A warehouse kind of district. Find another space and build it out. Now you have a second area where you can do things. Um, Take one of the backs, they have the medical kind of area backstage. They have the raw sign area. They have the, the performance center, extra ring, ring number two back there, let's call it. They have the gym portion out an area where it's kind of open. Maybe it doesn't have a door, but it's in those general vicinities and create something like what we're talking about. And, and to your Ron Simmons point, lastly, man, I would love it if they just had Ron Simmons on raw as like an enforcer and all his jo- his only job was people would come to him with their problems and he would be like, all right, that's, yeah, we'll make that a match. Or he nods or he says, damn, or whatever. And you just have a figurehead who's not really a general manager, but someone to almost keep the peace and make sure things go right and things get booked properly. So I don't know, or or maybe even like a Tzawa runs into him and he smacks him down or something like that. And then someone pins him for the 24-7 title. You could use someone, to your point, like Ron Simmons in that role, and I think it would work. But I did want to clarify that With the Performance Center, it's not like what AEW has with Daly's Place and with the stadium. Sure. There is a limitation in terms of room size and venues, but they are in Orlando again, which is a huge entertainment city. It's not like LA or anything, but they have a lot of production. They have sets. They have people that can build and do things in very limited space. And considering the money that WWE is willing to shell out to do some of these cinematic things and do some unique stuff make some unique areas and allow these guys to get creative. That's, that's the point i like, getting at.
1: Yeah. It, given where the ratings have been, been going, like make some major changes in the way you present the show. Like, like you got to yeah. change it up here. Like, you know, we, we've been complimentary of raw most weeks. We think the stories have been pretty good. The problem is I don't think anything's really been great. Nothing's been nothing's really like broken through. That's like all of a sudden, oh, I got to watch this. And that's what they're missing. You know, for a while for, you know, it used to be Firefly Funhouse for a little bit. There was always like, you know, there'd be a segment or oh, this week. I got to see what this week's blank segment is. And they just they don't have that. They haven't had that for a while. And I still think there's a lot of different creative things they could do. The situation does give them the opportunity to be more creative with the way they present the show and they just kind of stick with the same, stick with the same stuff. No, you're hundred percent right. In in fact, the
0: situation calls for them to be more creative. And that's what, and that's what AEW has succeeded in doing. Well, they did Mm -hmm. the false count anywhere match. Um, You know, they started in the kitchen. They did some of the other stuff in different parts of the, of the venue. now WWE's done it too. Don't get me wrong. You know, they did, um, they did the thing with the street profits and the Viking Raiders that ended up outside, you know, by the dumpster I liked area. It. I like it. Yeah, that. And, and I know but, you
1: did. I know you didn't, but I liked it.
0: No, I didn't. But 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 they, they have done some stuff. But the yeah. point is get more creative and do more things. Before we get off, I have some other SmackDown topics to talk about. Before we get off Raw, I just want to say, and I probably should have mentioned this earlier. We had that Murphy Umberto Creo match, by the way. A good short match between the two. My biggest issue was what with it was Murphy got absolutely murdered by Dominic with the kendo stick. He didn't sell. He yeah. didn't sell that. He was hurt the entire time. He was fully dressed. So he couldn't tape up his stuff. He wasn't hampered in any way. It was just really weird. It it lent more credence to what you said earlier, which is, I believe it's possible that this thing was taped and then realigned the way Raw was kind of segmented out. I think that's possible. Um, but moving on to SmackDown, we have a couple more topics before we get out of here. Bayley created that Nikki Cross-Alexa Bliss match. I don't think it was the best match by any means. It was kind of robotic, but the storyline was great. Bayley and Sasha Banks were superb in their opening forcing Cross to fight her best friend for another opportunity at the title. That's a really smart heel move. Cross did a really good job selling her injured ribs throughout the entire match, playing possum for the inside cradle finish. And Bliss was pretty cool playing support for a change. You know, normally she's the dominant personality. Here she's now in a supporting role for Nikki Cross. I thought that was pretty cool the way she did that in that match and backstage afterwards.
1: Yep, I I think this has been a good uh, another step forward in the, the Nikki cross likes of bliss stuff. It, it kind of feels like the breakups coming. Um, just, you know, again, it was it was solid fine. It kind of moves us to, to something else. I wanted to drop a side note also. I love the chemistry between Michael Cole, Bailey and Sasha
0: Banks when they sit in on commentary. Yeah, it's just it's top tier and it feels natural. I also love and this is a shout out to Michael Cole. He always sticks to storyline whenever anyone mentions him fighting them or wrestling or anything like that, or anytime it's WrestleMania season, he always notes that he's retired as a wrestler
1: and he's undefeated. It's <laughs> 2-0, and yeah. and he's
0: very happy about that. I love that he sticks
1: to that. Yes, good, good for him on that, absolutely. Really
0: uh, Firefly Funhouse, this was one of the two worst editions of the Funhouse that we've ever gotten, in my opinion. They literally said it and accomplished nothing in the segment. We already knew The Fiend was unleashed because we saw that at the end of the Swamp Fight. There's only three more SmackDowns until SummerSlam. They could have included a challenge or a threat or anything different in this edition of the house. To me, it was a total waste of time.
1: I mean, I didn't think it was a waste because we we needed a, we needed a, I guess, acknowledgement after the Swamp Fight, kind of where things stand. So, you know, it was short. It was what it was. It wasn't great. It could have been more like a lot of things. But I, I, I think it, At the bare, it crossed the bare minimum, I think, of what it needed to do.
0: And by the way, when you mentioned like WWE, you know, doing more now and and trying different things, the Firefly Funhouse is a really good example. When they first taped that, they did it at a studio. They built it. They taped like eight segments or, or however many. And it was all set up and really, really nice and really big and cool. Now they've basically reduced it to a blue box with some puppets. And it's no longer nearly as cool as it was. I understand whatever studio that existed in, maybe may not have been in state or maybe it was torn down or whatever the case, but you're going to be in Orlando. This guy's the Fiend. Build a set somewhere and let him do a full Firefly Funhouse with all the accoutrements, all the cool stuff that made the Firefly Funhouse cool. Now it's him standing in front of a blue wall with pictures on the wall and puppets. And it's just like, it's like they're not trying. They did this with the Fiend also. You have to remember when he was debuting or, or not debuting, when showing up, they would do the crazy lights and the crazy sound, yeah, and then he would pop up now the lights turn off, they turn back on and he's and maybe there's a little bit of a sound and he's there so they've reduced the fiend from this really cool supernatural, awesome try really hard gimmick to them giving it fifty percent effort and it's really annoying to me
1: I mean, like we haven't really seen the fiend in the ring very much, no but for pin. months no, but for months before they were doing it the way I'm saying yeah, it. no you're right you're right, you're right and, and it's those little details like like normally you like the slow, the lights turning off. Normally, we we prefer a boom surprise out of nowhere, but it did such a good job of like building the dread that you knew something yeah. really freaky looking was going to come. And I, 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 they had a plan and a vision with Bray Wyatt the fiend at the beginning. They they stuck with it even right off the bat when people were a little weird thought it, some of it was a little weird. They stuck with the plan, they adjusted where they needed to, and they made a very good character. Now, the booking is a whole separate issue, but this is an example of long term planning for a person and a character that a lot of people need. This is I I need I need to see that with Big E for the next six months. They need to know where he's going to be six months from now, because Bray Wyatt, the fiend, I think what you just laid out was a good example of investing in a character.
0: Yeah. When you make that investment, they WWE made the investment time, money, and storytelling to get the fiend over and it worked 100 percent then they kind of just said "Eh, he still exists so let's just keep booking him and rather than continue the greatness that they were doing and that is their biggest problem uh, a couple more things on the way out of here the king's ransom for matt riddle i thought it was really nice to see a dominant win for riddle over tony niece after he's basically had to work his ass off in matches since his debut the back and forth with king corbin it wasn't the best but i like the idea of hired guns coming after Riddle until he finally gets to face and beat, in this case, the big boss, I guess, in Corbin. That said, the King gimmick is tired. It's going to be one year old in September. So hopefully Riddle fights Corbin, maybe even at SummerSlam, beats him, and they move on from the King stuff. I also, by the way, hope we get a new King of the Ring in August because that's the month where all of this happened last year. So King of the Ring, um, I think it was on SmackDown. Was it both shows? I'm trying to remember. Was it
1: just a single show tournament? I don't. I don't remember. I'm getting that in the Intercontinental Championship tournament mixed up. in the I just mind. remember so Gable. Sure.
0: I just remember Gable and Corbin. That's being right. at, I think it was just SmackDown, if, if memory serves. Um, I don't care how they do it. Do it on Raw. Do it cross brand. You need something to keep us interested in August, in and around, or after SummerSlam. Do King of the Ring again. It worked last year. Gable should have won, but whatever. Do it again. We got to get the King title off Corbin. It was good. It was decent for a while.
1: It's now tired and old. Let's move on. It, it is. And we've said that for a while, but I actually like the King's ransom idea and it's wish smart. they had done this m- smart months ago. It's a great idea. Like basically put a bounty on a guy and and do that for a little bit. I think it's a great. I think that's a, a nice little change. And it's something, again, creative. I think it's something they could do a little bit more of and kind of really lean into these into these things. It's, again, something that was a pretty good idea and could be a great idea if they make some tweaks. so uh, if you can build off of that, i I, I don't know if this is going to be a one week idea or not. And obviously, riddle versus Corbin it is what it is. But that little nugget of a king's ransom was like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. It's like it's not it's like putting an open challenge on somebody else essentially and and it could lead to some fun things, and it kind of made me wish we'd had this for a while before we got tired of the king gimmick.
0: So I'll tell you, I'll tell you another funny dirt sheet thing here. And, you know, I don't know whether this is a chicken or the egg thing, which came first. There was a dirt sheet report a couple of weeks ago that Corbin, and I I don't, I don't believe it at all. I believe 0% of this because Corbin, despite his on-screen character, seems to really get the business and be Mm -hmm. a pretty good guy, all things Mm -hmm. considered. Okay. There was a report that they told Riddle, uh, they told Corbin, hey, we want you to do a feud with Riddle. And Riddle said... Actually, no, I'm not ready for that. He just debuted. Why should he get to fight me? He should have to beat at least like four or five other guys before he gets to fight me. Okay, so that was a dirt sheet rumor that Corbin said this. So what's happening on TV? Matt Riddle is having to beat four or five different guys before he ultimately gets a match with Mm -hmm. Corbin. So I think this was a planted story that (laughs) they basically told the dirt sheets that Corbin really thought this way. And it was the storyline the entire time. It could be chicken and the egg again. It could be a situation where that got out. So th- therefore, they decided to do it in storyline. But I don't think that's the case. I find it really funny that that kind of came out. And this is now the booking for their feud.
1: And I, no, I agree that Corbin gets the business and there. There was an episode of Backstage months ago that I watched he was on and CM Punk was on. Yeah, and so they, were was talking, they were talking Yeah, Yeah, they were talking about the dog food thing. And when I first when the dog food thing happened, I thought it was dumb. But then when I heard them explain it, I was like, oh, you know what? I actually that was a, that was a heelish thing to do. And like that's the kind of Corbin I kind of want. Like he kind of is a bit of a dick, but like that's like the point. And, 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 and I, I kind of wish that's the character we got more than the sarcastic kingness. Sort sort of yeah. that, that he's got just like a little tweak because you know I know a lot of people hate him and we're not necessarily excited for this feud but the guy gets the business and the guy can work he just needs little tweaks and I think it could be really good. He's really good. They've sat. The problem is every feud he's been
0: in has gone on too long. Yeah. And be, and because of that you get tired of him so he gets X Pac heat in addition to real heat but yeah. people hate him not um in you know like crowds hate him which is good and it helped get Roman Reigns over that feud. What Corbin said on that show, I don't remember word for word, obviously, you should um, look up that interview because it was a really good interview on WWE backstage. But they said, you know, what do you think about this dog food stuff? It's pretty silly. He goes, you guys know I'm a heel, right? Yeah. And people are supposed to hate me. And the entire point of doing this is for me to get the comeuppance and get the dog food thrown back in my face. And that's what they did. Roman Reigns, when Roman cover and the Usos covered Baron Corbin in dog food, that crowd went wild. Now, we may not like it because we like more serious wrestling, but the crowd ate it up, no pun intended. So it worked. And yeah, it lasted far too long. And the feud meandered and it it probably was three months and it should have been six weeks or maybe two months at a maximum. But in the end, it worked because guess what? Baron Corbin is a really good heel. So credit where it's due. I like him. I like him a lot. I, I think mm-hmm. he's gotten the short end of the stick in many ways so far in WWE he's gonna be a long career he's gonna have a long career he's gonna be a top level heel he already is really and he's gonna be champion so you guys better prepare for that he will be yeah champion. They cl-
1: they, yeah they, I mean they clearly like him putting him in with the rock yeah. on that first smackdown he he gets all the he gets a lot of big feuds they clearly have a lot of plans for him um and yeah you are supposed to hate him yeah and we'll wrap up on this Naomi
0: on Miz TV as I said a couple weeks ago and as I said multiple times on today's show. Miz TV does not work in the empty arena setting, especially not with Morrison alongside Miz. Their corny jokes and the gimmicks that they're doing, they fall flat. The how many Seth Rollins vomit star rating thing, I get what they were doing. It was tongue in cheek. With no one in the crowd to laugh or to groan or to boo, it doesn't work, okay? So just stop, please stop. So while that's the case, I also saw people that didn't think Naomi did a good job. I disagree. I felt Naomi did a good enough job in her, sh- in her promo. It was shoot style. She was talking real. She was talking storyline. It worked to me. She just didn't have any help. Ms. and Morrison, the whole reason to do Ms. TV is for Ms. and Morrison to help get her over, to prompt her and respond back and forth to her in a way that makes her stronger. Instead, they dragged her down. Lacey Evans, I felt, and you guys know I don't like Lacey Evans, when she came out, she also did a good enough job in her short bit. So the segment actually worked. The parts between Naomi and Lacey Evans worked more than anything they've done together yet. So for me, that is a net positive. But they saddled this with this Miz TV gimmick that I'm just telling you, it's doing more harm than good right now in WWE.
1: No, yeah. And we just laid out, you know, there's too many TV shows. I I I thought it was good that they leaned into the Naomi bid, kind of make this part of the the storyline. But is Lacey Evans going to come out on top of this feed, as we kind of expected at the beginning? That you know, maybe maybe this is a one off to kind of address it and move on, or maybe it becomes a Dan and O'Brien type of thing where people try to ride it into something bigger. I don't know. I, I thought Naomi and Lacey did a fine job for what it was. It's still it's still messed up that this whole thing started from a karaoke thing ridiculous. a couple weeks ago which is going to be just really hard to shake um especially when you know this becomes a lipstick situation on on this episode but i agree that the Ms. tv asset kind of dragged it down you know the men are talking the women come out the women start getting in a fight the men are just kind of watching it just it, it didn't work for me i i'm hopeful that you know they clearly recognize the naomi response and and maybe this will uh tweak any sort of plans that they had in some sense in terms of giving her some more going forward. But outside of that, it was a weak segment.
0: Yeah, for me, it's all about how they build on it. I just think they did.
1: they did a good enough
0: job where I thought it was going towards disaster. And I thought Naomi and Lacey Evans kind of made it at least a little bit intriguing. So some partial credit, at least for that. So that's our breakdown of Raw on Monday night and SmackDown on Friday. You know, SmackDown, you feel better?
1: Do, you, do you feel better? Did you get no. off your chest? No, I, no. I don't. I'm I'm,
0: I'm <laughs> almost more angry now because like it's one thing when you like take a couple notes and, and usually when I do these shows, I probably take about 700 words. note worth of notes for our show. There's a lot of matches. There's a lot of things that happen. I, I include a couple of phrases I want to make sure I say, but I don't really go overboard. I took 1,500 words worth of notes for this show because, and I didn't write out, this wasn't, you know, no script or anything, but there were so many points I wanted to make. And it's one thing to write them in the moment. It's another thing to spend in a two hour episode of this show going over it again and reliving the horror that we just witnessed. And by the way, I did not even mean to say that. I didn't, Bailey. I didn't like Raw on Monday night. It was a horror show. I thought Raw was worse than Extreme Rules. Like for people that didn't like the finish to Asuka and Sasha Banks, Raw was worse. For people that didn't like the eye for an eye and how it finished, and I did, by the way, so I'm not in that group of people. But for people that didn't like that, I hated the booking of Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre and Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and the way that first hour was segmented. I hated that more. Raw was worse than Extreme Rules. And again, I will will end on this note to hammer it home one last time. These editions of Raw were written and rewritten the day after the poor response to Extreme Rules. And that is what Vince McMahon and Bruce Prichard thought would make it better. And it didn't. And that is a bigger problem than even what we were given on television. So that will be the last we talk about WWE on this show, uh, at least this episode, I mean. As for what's next, Wednesday night, <laughs> huge Wednesday night again, uh, but way bigger, way, way bigger for AEW than NXT. So we'll start with NXT. Keith Lee is going to address what happened with and Cross and begin what we expect to be the formation of the rivalry that will conclude at, or, or at least take place at TakeOver 30. We have that triple threat match. Finn Balor, Dexter Loomis, and Timothy Thatcher for a spot in the ladder match at TakeOver. Very excited for that. Again, even if you don't watch NXT, if you did not see that triple threat match from Wednesday's show, go on the WWE Network and watch that match at the nine o'clock hour. It was freaking awesome. Uh, and then we also have Shotzi Blackheart versus Mercedes Martinez, throwaway women's match. AEW, on the other hand, loaded show. We have Cody going up against a warhorse an independent wrestler, making his AEW debut. We don't think he signed, but... Nevertheless, uh, Omega and Page defending the tag team titles against the Dark Order. Another tag team title defense on AEW Dynamite. I've never seen tag team titles defended as much as these. Moxley and Allen, Darby Allen against Brian Cage and Starks in a tornado tag team match. Finally, AEW actually giving us a tornado (laughs) tag team match by rule. And then a 10-man, what I expect to be main event, Inner Circle against the Best Friends and the Jurassic Express. You know, this isn't as built up as last week's show was last week's edition of Dynamite, maybe their best
1: of the pandemic era. Uh, but this looks to be a very good show, Chris. So it looks like a loaded show. Um, I- I'm excited for that 10 man tag, like you said. And also, uh the the Cody TNT Championship Open Challenge is, is basically a must watch every week. You, you, it, sometimes you don't know who it is. Sometimes you you do. There have been new, unique opponents, Eddie, Eddie Kingston, uh, Mark Quinn. Now you got Warhorse. Horse. Um, it, it's, it's interesting stuff. Uh, last week was a really kind of promo heavy episode of AEW, which was good. You got a lot of really strong right. promos out of a lot of really good people. And it really kept my attention throughout the show. This looks like it's going to be more of a a wrestling focused show outside of MJF's state of the industry, which I'm looking forward to. He's kind of been tweeting about this for a while. So uh, this looks like a pretty loaded show of dynamite. That'll probably be pretty wrestling heavy. And by the way, uh, just a quick recap from last
0: week, NXT got bludgeoned in the ratings. We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely bludgeoned like MJF kind of insinuated there. Um, And they deserved it. Because of the way they booked that show, the lack of announcing, announced matches, the way it was paced, the things they had in certain spots. I talk about it all the time on Wednesday night. The matches you have at certain points matter. The matches you promote matter. They didn't promote that triple threat, obviously, because they didn't announce why they'd be having the triple threat until the beginning of the show. But they did a very, very poor job of promoting um, and booking that show. And this week is exactly the same. There's one really good match. Booked for the show, but how do you compete when you have two title matches? your world champion and the most over person in the company in Moxley in what should be a very good tag team match, and a ten man main event. That while it's a ten man match, we've seen what AEW has done with multi man matches recently, and they've been pretty good, way better than the WWE equivalent. So yeah, AEW. One,
1: one other, yeah, one other thing is it relates to the ratings. I, I'm curious. I'm curious how it will go this week compared to a promo heavy show last week to a wrestling heavy show in terms of keeping people's attention because last week i wrote this down I, I tweeted it in the first hour we got promos from eddie kingston mjf Britt baker moxley jericho and jake the snake all in one hour and it, i could not turn away yeah because every segment was like oh i gotta see what this person is gonna say so I, I i'm curious if um if more extended wrestling how that kind of compares when, when, when it goes up against NXT, which is typically a wrestling heavy show as well, uh, this week with it,
0: because I watch NXT live and I tape AEW, there are occasions where I will fast forward AEW, not to mi- I don't miss anything, but like if I get like a dark order versus SCU match, like I may kind of fast forward, like in the middle and like skip over the commercial and then restart it on the other side of the break, you know? So I may do something like that. Um, I oh, oh, I'm sorry. And there was a Taz promo in there as well. I forgot. There was, was also it. a Taz promo. Um, but I don't, this episode, you're right. That first hour of Dynamite, I was just like, wow, this is really freaking good. And the opening to that show, obviously Eddie Kingston's a great promo. We all knew that going in, anyone who knows him. Um, but I, I, I was transfixed. There was no, if I started AEW, and this is what I said on the Thursday recap show. If I started watching AEW at, you know, 8 p.m., they gave me zero reason to change the channel for about 45 minutes, I would say at a minimum. NXT, once that segment ended with Keith Lee, which was a decent opening, it was a good reason to tune in at the beginning, they should have immediately gone into that triple threat match. Instead, it was a total letdown. And it said to me as a viewer, what's happening right now isn't important, go switch to AEW, at least see what's up. And then when I did switch, what did I see? Cody versus Eddie Kingston, in basically a hardcore match, which was totally fine. And it was brutal. It was great. So AEW did everything right in terms of booking a two-hour television show to be entertaining, but also to win a ratings war. They mm. really, really got it right on Wednesday, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, and the only thing I'll say before we get out of here, I, I get the cool factor of having independent wrestlers challenge for the TNT title, Starks, uh, Eddie Kingston, now Warhorse. Man, they have a huge roster. Yep. it's loaded. Yep. I, I get the, I get it. And I, you're you're trying to draw ratings. You're trying to get people in. Maybe these are tryouts. Eddie Kingston. It does not seem like he was signed. Usually, Tony Khan announces pretty quick after someone makes their debut, whether they're signed or not. Um, but I mean, use use your guys. They got fifty eight male wrestlers on their roster. I know, I know, probably twenty of them are unavailable because they're in England or Mexico or Japan or wherever or China. But, but. Use these people. you got yeah. tons of wrestlers on your roster. Give a TNT title opportunity to Christopher Daniels. Give one to uh, Matt Jackson. I know they're, you know, semi together. Whatever. Yeah, the no, market.
1: look what, yeah, look, look, I mean, the, look, the Mark Quinn, look what he did for Mark Quinn. That was a great match. Great story. Sonny Kiss gets the match at at, at the... Uh, at the show last week, yeah. great match did wonders for Sunny Kiss. There's a lot of people on that roster who already deserve a spot like that. That give, that could yeah, only it only it help the Phoenix. company to do that. Give it
0: to one yep. of the revival members. I mean, or, or sorry, the what are they called? FTR members. There's so many things they can do. So I, I just I I just like I would in WWE. I get upset when they don't use the talent they have. They have a huge roster. So same criticism for them that I would give for anyone else. But that is what is coming up Wednesday on NXT and AEW Dynamite. Long show today. I think deservedly so. We had a lot to talk about and a lot to bitch about and complain about, honestly, for a rarity here. You know, we we do complain, we do criticize, but rare is it that an episode takes on this type of tone. But my, in my opinion, and seemingly in Chris's opinion as well, WWE deserved it for the edition of Raw that they gave us on Monday night. As I said, that's it for today's show. Follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam, and don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts.
1: Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark
0: for me. Go back to being marks for us. Five star ratings and reviews. We have 250 ratings and reviews right now. The goal, folks, is 500. When we get to 500, I will stop mentioning it on every episode. There are plenty of listeners to get us there. Trust me. So do your part. Rating and review has to be five stars. We will get to 500 and we will stop mentioning it twice on every single episode. Thank you all for joining me. Chris has already said goodbye. Well, he didn't, but I'm going to do it for him. The Silver King here is saying goodbye and we don't have enough time for Randy to do it. So for Chris, this is Adam. I will see you on Thursday. Bye for now.